Hey everybody, welcome again to GBC. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed singing songs alongside of you today. Thank you guys for leading. Um, before we jump into our text today, which is John 15, we're, we're taking a little one-week break from our study of 2 Corinthians. Um, you'll hear more about why that's happening in the sermon, so I won't bore you with it now. I want to make a couple of quick announcements. One, uh, the grill off is this coming Saturday. I, I know that Wes gave that announcement in the uh, in, in the announcement before church, and some of you weren't in here. I did notice that, um, and and so I just wanted to reiterate: this is, yes, it is one of the most fun events that we do every year, and you should you should come just because it's it's fun. But it's it's a very relational time, and, and we are a church premised on relational disciple-making. And, and so in order to make disciples, you have to make relationships, and this is a great opportunity to make relationships. So just because it's fun doesn't mean it's not godly. It's both, okay? And, and so come and enjoy and, and be intentional in cultivating great relationships. Also want you to know that right after this service, we are going to have a baby dedication. And so uh, if, if you are able to stay and, and listen to testimonies and, and how families are, are praying for their kids and how we are praying for families, uh, we would love for you to stay for that. It's actually an important part of what we do as a church. So that's going to be about 10 minutes after the service concludes. And um, if, if you can hold off and going to lunch, um, stay and, and hang out. And it's, I went to the last one. It's super cool. Um, last thing, uh, every once in a while, Someone who has, has been really formative in my life comes to Grace Bible Church, and it's a huge treat for me. So Taylor and Gail Clark uh, have come to GBC. They had a huge impact on how I think about disciple-making, and um, it's just an honor to have them, so I'll stop there. Okay, let me pray. <laughs> Lord, what a great privilege it is to sing songs based in your gospel and to know that it's true. And, and to celebrate and to have joy based in your gospel is, is such a gift, God, and that we get to do it together as a, as a church family is, it's just indescribable. So thank you, God, for the saints of God who, who sang songs that are about your gospel with conviction and such a joy, God. I pray that we would, based on our time together understand more of the joy that you have for us in Christ. I pray that your spirit would do a, an incredible work. Uh, Lord, I confess that my words will fail, but, but your word will not fail. And your spirit brings conviction, and that is our hope. And so help us, Lord, and, and help us to be yielded to what you have to teach us and to the great conviction that you bring us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask the question today, what actually brought you to faith in Christ? I know that the short answer is God, but, but what did God use to bring you to faith in Christ? Uh, you know, I, I was an interesting guy. I thought I was a Christian for about five years before I, I became a Christian. And, and when I thought I was a Christian, it was theology and apologetics that, that taught me a lot about Jesus, but I don't think I knew Jesus. So the theology and apologetics, they're good. I, I'll bore you with theology, I promise you. But, but they didn't bring me to Jesus. And, and so my testimony personally is that joy brought me to Jesus. And, and let me give you that story real quickly. I know it's not your story, but I think it's probably some of your stories. In 1988, as a person who thought he was a Christian but probably wasn't a Christian, I went to Canna Camps to be a counselor. 
I'd, I'd heard a lot about the gospel through Young Life and through Canacuck in high school. Had a pretty bankrupt freshman year of college. I, I go to, to Canacuck sort of thinking, you know, I've got some tensions in my Christian life, but I was a Christian. And that year at Canacuck, in the providence of God, we were starting a new camp. It was called K Country, and, and it was the first time that this camp had ever been open. And honestly, it, it just wasn't ready. And so we're most like work weeks at, at Christian camps, TPRM, Ozark, Pine Cove, Canakick, they're all the same. Um, most of them in the work week, like you're putting soccer nets on the soccer goals. That's, that's not real hard work. It's, it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of good fellowship and you're busy, but it's, it's not excruciating. We were building the camp. I mean, there was a, a nature center. It was an amphitheater. And there's about 12 of us carrying split pine logs, big logs. And I mean, we are like Hebrew slaves in Egypt. I mean, like it is brutal work and it's unseasonably hot for May. Like the sun is beating down on us. And like the first day I'm all fired up, as, as you might expect, I was a guy with no shortage of energy. And after three or four days in carrying these logs and trying to cut spots for the logs out in the middle of this slope. I was just beat. My, my hands were blistered. And, and so all the energy, all, all the hyperact, hyperactive energy I had, it had been dissipated. And so on day four, I'm waking up and like not wanting to wake up. And I'm, I'm putting my shoes on out, outside of, of the cabin that I'm in. And I'm looking around at all the people that I'm working with. And, and some of them I mean, they're all my peers, but, but so, you know, girls and, and scrawny guys, and you're like, they have a joy, and, and it, it befuddles me. Like, I'm like, I had that three days ago, or I thought I had that three days ago. They still have it. They're working just as hard as me, and I remember praying that morning, Lord, I don't know what I am, but I'm not what these people are. I, I, that was my exact prayer. And it was the joy of Christ that they had that upset the apple cart for me. And, and it made me realize that maybe I didn't know Jesus the way I thought I knew Jesus. So that, that's what brought me to faith. Today we're going to talk about joy. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Let's see. Girlfriends go south. Goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There it is. Girlfriends go south. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The second one is joy. I'm not here to say that joy is more important than the other ones. I, th I think that's a fool's endeavor. I think they're all really important. Here's, here's what I am willing to say. We sing about joy. We talk about joy a bunch. I'm not sure we always really know exactly what it means. Let me tell you what it isn't. Joy is not happiness. Okay, that, that's the first thing you know. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is produced when circumstances are favorable. Like when life is going well, we are happy. So are all the people out there. Everyone is happy when life is going well. Joy, I'm sorry, happiness is circumstantial. Joy is super circumstantial. Super circumstantial. In fact, and this is kind of ironic, joy is most clearly seen when it looks like misplaced happiness. Have you seen that before? Like when someone has a gladness in their soul 
despite the fact that their circumstances are, are kind of cruddy. That, that's exactly what happened to me. Day four at Canacuck, all these people who had been carrying logs with me, I'm like, what is wrong with them? Like, why do they have the, what now I know is the joy of the Lord? And so that's, that's what joy is. That's, that's what, and that's what happiness isn't. Happiness, let me say this, pursuing happiness, pursuing happiness is one of the very best ways in your life to forfeit happiness. Do you know that? We need to get out ahead of that. Pursuing happiness is one of the very best ways in your life to forfeit happiness. Eric Hoffer, who wrote this book called The Passionate State of Mind, said the search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. Now, here's why that's important. A lot of Christians really live their lives with hedonistic background. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate goal. And so there's nothing wrong with happiness. I'm not not down on happiness. I'm just saying that the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of happiness as the ultimate goal will ultimately turn itself on you and you will be a, a selfish jerk. That's what's going to happen if happiness is the ultimate goal. If happiness is the ultimate goal, you'll abuse other people to gain happiness. And happiness will prove incredibly elusive. It's not that happiness in and of itself is bad. It's trying to find it outside of the immense satisfaction offered to us in Christ. That's, that's where things go south in a big hurry. Okay, so let's, let's now actually define joy. Joy is a sense of well-being that's experienced based on unchanging divine promises and eternal spiritual realities. Let me say it again just because it is the definition and that matters. Joy is a sense of well-being that's experienced based on unchanging divine promises and eternal spiritual realities. Now, look, I'm going to be the first to admit, I got that definition from somebody else. That if, if you're like, that doesn't sound like West, you're right, it's not. <laughs> Defining joy is not heavy lifting. You, you can find a definition for joy in a lot of different places. Figuring out how to fight for joy. That's the great task before us today. Figuring out how to fight for joy. And why do I say that? I think so many people today somehow think that we are beholden to our emotions. I've said this before, but I want to say it again just in case you missed it. Note that the Bible says to take our thoughts captive. It doesn't say to take our emotions captive. You ever thought about that? Why wouldn't it say to take our emotions captive? Because if we take our thoughts captive, our emotions fall in line. And and so emotion is beholden to our thoughts. Our thoughts are not beholden to our emotions. And, And so when it says to take our thoughts captive, it's basically saying you actually are in charge. Like what you think will produce the the dispositional reality that you walk through life with, okay? So, So we are to choose joy. That means that we can control that. Despite our circumstances, we can fight for joy. Our circumstances can be horrible. And the gospel is still true, and the gospel can still be before us. Our, Our circumstances don't have to overwhelm us if the gospel holds us. I mean, you know, it holds us steady in a stormy gale. We, we sang about that. 
And so part of what we're looking at today is the fact that joy is something that God wants for us. Joy is something that God commands for us. And it's something that we have to fight for. One of the greatest examples in that fight for joy is, is my buddy Ted Tredenick. Some of y'all know him, but Ted was paralyzed in his mid-20s. He was in a motorcycle accident, and he lost control of, of his legs. 20-some-odd years later, he's now in grave danger of losing function of his left arm. And, and you know, if you haven't gotten out ahead of that, that's really significant for someone who's already paralyzed because that means you know, you, you're not going to be able to drive or, or dress yourself. And there's, there's a lot that goes along with losing control of your left arm. And, and I, I've been up to visit Ted. I mean, I've, I've known him since we were in college together. He, he is scared. Ted is actually really sad. He's, he's really honest with his emotions. But every time I leave the hospital, I'm inspired. And the reason I'm inspired is because Ted, not in some sort of Pollyanna, like, everything's going to be fine. He's not doing that. He's a really thoughtful individual. He, he knows that he is in a grave situation, but he is fighting for joy. He is, fight, he, he, he is fighting to keep the gospel at the forefront of his mind. He's fighting to keep an eternal perspective, and he's fighting that that eternal perspective would shape how he thinks about his current circumstances. Ted is fighting for joy, and I want that for all of us. I, I wouldn't wish his current circumstances on any of us, but whatever the circumstances are, when it's time to fight for joy as Christians, I think God calls us to that, and it is in our best interest. The Bible calls us to joy 70 times in the Greek New Testament. 70 times. Think about it. There's only 27 books. So over and over again, the Bible is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. It's no trouble for me to say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Always, over and over again. So why aren't Christians more joyful? You ever wondered about that? Like, why, if, if the Bible calls us to joy all the time, why are Christians so doggone dour? I mean, like, it's kind of pitiful. Oliver Wendell Holmes, who some, someone once said is the greatest Supreme Court justice since John Marshall, once said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. <laughs> I think he's talking about me. Like, I'm, I'm part of the clergy. And, and look, I get that because I go to pastor's conferences and there's a lot of undertakers. And like, why... How did we come to a place where we decided that that's what godly looks like? You know, and I, I'll say this too, that's probably more true than it ought to be about people who are clergymen, you know, pastors, ministers, whatever you want to call it. I don't think it's just the people up on stage. I think there's a lot of Christians who look like undertakers too. And when he's saying undertakers, and no offense to undertakers, y'all are not known as joyful people, okay? And I would say Christians aren't particularly known as joyful people either, and we should be. That's, that's my point. I, I'm actually proud of our elder board. We, we've got eight or nine guys on our elder board. Every one of them is joyful. They really are. And I don't know where joyfulness got a bad rap. I, I guess somehow it got associated with silly or sort of a Pollyanna disposition. Oh, everything's you know shallow. I, I'm not sure how we started 
looking at joy as, as being so passe for the godly. But it's just not biblical. It's just not biblical. I want now to turn our attention a little bit. We're just going to look briefly at this. John chapter 15, we're going to start with verses 10 through 11, because I think this is going to speak to joy in a way that should at least stir us a little bit. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 15, verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete. I'll say this. I think Jesus' words are 100% true. I will never disagree with Jesus' words. I, that's, that's absolutely true. But I, I think just taking this, verses 10 and 11, as 100% true, it, it is 100% true. It's also 100% partial. It's, it's not the full story. The scary truth is that so many Christians are, are trying to do so much. They, they are working so hard to be obedient. They are doing so much for the kingdom that they aren't really doing much at all. That's the truth. Like there are so many people who are, who are laborers and they're just grinding it out and they're, they're digging in and I got to do this and, and everyone should be doing this. And where's the joy? Because verse 11 says it should culminate in Jesus' joy in us and our joy being complete. And that's not always the case. So there's plenty of undertakers who are pastors because they are doing their labor, but it doesn't end up at a place of joy. So what Jesus is saying here is true, but we don't have the full story. What's the full story? You can go back just a little bit because we're going to read in context at Grace Bible Church, right? We're not just going to pull verses out, verse 10 and 11. What happened in verses 1 through 5? That's going to matter. It's going to matter. Verses 1 through 5, Jesus still speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there's a lot going on here. Some of it is about why we suffer. We're not going to cover that. Ultimately, what you need to see is the rest of the story as it applies to obedience and joy. Obedience leads us to joy. That's verses 10 and 11. But only if you're rooted in your relationship to Jesus Christ. That's, that's foundational. To, to abide is to remain. So when I say relationally rooted, it, it, it's, it's synonym, synonym to abide. It, you know, like we are staying connected to Jesus, okay? Obedience, outward obedience that is unconnected, disconnected to Jesus, will not produce the joy that God intends. Is there an obedience? that doesn't lead to joy? I just answered that question. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. You, you, can, you can do the right 
things, there's an external or outward obedience that doesn't lead to joy. The obedience that doesn't lead to joy is an obedience that comes from something other than our rooted relationships in Christ. Now, you might be wondering where I'm going with this. John 15 distinguishes between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It doesn't use the words Old Covenant and New Covenant, but the last two weeks of sermons in 2 Corinthians, we've talked about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is marked by external obedience, and the New Covenant is marked by an obedience that comes from being relationally rooted in Christ. That's the New Covenant. It culminates in verse 11. So what is the downstream difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? I have said these things that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made full, might be made complete. Ultimately, the difference, the downstream difference, the litmus test. If you're wondering if you are operating by an old covenant concept where you're just grinding it out and you're, you're doing something, but it's not producing joy, old covenant. If, on the other hand, you are rooted in your relationship with Jesus, that will produce, abide in me and you will bear fruit. It will produce obedience, and that obedience ultimately will lead to joy. Every time, every time. Sometimes we confuse productivity with fruitfulness. Lots of productive people end up becoming self-righteous, critical, judgy, whatever you want to say. They're doing a lot of things, and they end up kind of embittered because other people aren't doing as much as they are. You, you met those people? It's not super attractive. It's not super attractive. Here's where it'll get a little challenging today. today. When our causes, and they're good causes, when our causes eclipse relationship with Jesus, when our causes eclipse relationship with Jesus, things always start to go sideways. That, that's what you need to know about the Christian life. When, when you develop a cause because you're a Christian and, and the cause starts to eclipse your relationship with Jesus, I promise you things will ultimately start to go sideways. Causes, good causes, like disciple-making. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of known for that, right? I mean, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying it's what I talk about all the time. Disciple-making can be a cause. If disciple-making becomes preeminent, like th that becomes my identity as opposed to who I am in Christ, things are going to go sideways. Missions, same deal, same exact. Is missions bad? Missions is great. We are, we are for the nations. I, I'm pro-missions. I'm, I'm pro-disciple-making. I am pro-missions. I'm pro-life. Pro-life is another great cause that, that you can get so absorbed in it that, that it eclipses our relationship with Jesus. I promise you it can go sideways on all of these good things. Adopting or fostering can be another one. Justice initiatives totally can eclipse our relationship with Jesus. And, and all of a sudden we're, we're mad at the rest of the world for not caring as much about justice initiatives as, every, every, as we should be. You can do it with diversity. You can, 
you know, ethnic diversity, ethnic equality, all of these things, are they good? Hear me say this. Yes, I am pro-discipleship. I am pro-missions. I am pro-life. I am pro-adoption. I am, I am for children. I am for justice. I am for ethnic diversity. All of these are great things. All produce joy if they start with Jesus. But when they don't, y'all, it starts to get ugly. And you need to know that. You need to be careful of that. I, as I said earlier, have sort of hung my hat on disciple-making. I'm, I'm a one-trick pony. It's like the only drum I have to be, right? Like, it's all I do. And look, if my disciple-making isn't rooted in a deep love for Jesus, it doesn't produce joy. And you know what I start doing? And I'm just going to spell it out for you. When, when I'm not rooted in love for Jesus... It doesn't produce joy, and I start thinking about how other churches aren't obeying the Great Commission. And I start getting really comparative, and I start getting indignant, and I start getting frustrated that other Christians or other pastors aren't doing the things that matter most, and how can they not believe the Great Commission after all? And I can go on and on. And it's not that compelling. But if I start with abiding in Christ... I end up making disciples because I love Jesus and I deeply want my friends to know the Jesus that I love. And when they end up loving Jesus, they end up wanting their friends to know the Jesus that they love. And so I pour into them to try to give them tools so that they can tell their friends who they deeply love about Jesus who, they, who should be deeply loved, who is worth deep love. And it goes on from there, and it is beautiful, and it is attractive. And, and I end up at that point saying, yes, come, join me in this. Jo- join me in this that we might do all of these things together. There is no better way of living life. But it better start with loving Jesus. What a privilege at that point to make disciples. What a privilege to go on the mission field. What a privilege to support life and adoption and fostering and justice initiatives and ethnic diversity and all of these things. What a joy if it starts with Jesus, if it starts with rooted relationships. But when the cause eclipses Jesus, it all unravels. All unravels. Someone once told me that if people didn't ask me on a regular basis why I was so joyful, there was something wrong with my Christian faith. I was probably 21 or 22 when that guy said that. And 30 something years later, I, I still think about it all the time that, that joy should be the hallmark of a relationship with Jesus. I think that's 100% true. I, I also think it's a little bit dangerous because it starts with the external. Like, how am I projecting? Is it, is it joyful enough? You know, and it, it becomes a little bit like, oh, I better look joyful. Sort of fake it till you make it type stuff. I don't like that. Uh, here's maybe the better way to think about it. 
Start with rooted relationships with Jesus. I mean abide in Christ. Love him. Spend time with him. Marinate in the gospel. Enjoy relationship with the God who saved you by grace through faith alone. That, according to John 15, will lead to obedience. If you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. You're not producing fruit without obedience. That's, that's how it works. So start with relationship with Jesus. That'll lead to obedience, and that obedience will yield a transcendent well-being based on unchanging spiritual truths that will be noticed by a world looking for something more substantial than circumstantial happiness. But it starts with Christ. Let me, before we finish, just... I imagine there's some people who are really into these causes that I talked about who are thinking, is he preaching at me? Was he thinking about me when he wrote this sermon? Probably. <laughs> I just want you to know that I was thinking about me too. I really am. I struggle with this. I think we all struggle with it. And if you're not struggling with it yet, you will. Abide. Abide in Christ and live in obedience as God has gifted you and celebrate the privilege and call people to it. It is a joy. Let's pray. Father, help, help us to find our identity so thoroughly in Jesus and his work for us. Help us to find our hope and our joy so thoroughly in Jesus and, and what he has done for us in the gospel and what it has done for us. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves as you intend us to see ourselves, that we might live in obedience, in joy, that, that we might be marked by the fruit of the Spirit, all of them. And Father, I, I pray that we, as we go out from this place, we would use our gifts to do great things for your kingdom. But Father, don't, in our eagerness to do great things, allow us to skip over your son and, and the call he has given us to abide in him. Father, I pray that we would always live in a space marked by abiding in Christ. And I pray that we would enjoy obedience and that obedience would produce a greater joy. And I pray the world would, would see that joy and know that there is something greater than happiness. And I pray that your name would be glorified. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.